All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Empire. This is a little prelude. We just had uh, Dan from CMS on the show and Avi Feldman from Golden Tree. This episode just leaks alpha. These guys are so freaking smart, some of the best traders in crypto. Unfortunately, 45 minutes into the episode, Wi-Fi craps out on us. Mike and I uh, do a little bit of an outro afterwards. Just a little bit of commentary on the episode. This was such a good app. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Stay tuned for the for the director's cut, uh, if we shall say, after the episode. Now, let's get on with the show. All right, everyone, we are back with another episode of Empire. Today, Santi is sitting this one out. Mike was calendar stalking me. He saw that we were recording with the legends, Avi Feldman, head of crypto trading at Golden Tree. And we got Dan, one of the co-founders of uh, CMS, joining today. Mike, I think uh, because... You were so excited about this episode. You usually don't join me, but you're subbing in for Santi on this one. I think we're going to throw the first question over to you. You want to do the honors, my friend? Sure. Uh, Avi and Dan, sorry, you guys are stuck with the B squad and uh, Santi couldn't be here, but I'll, I'll do my best. Um, I, want, I want to start with like the most, the most talked about thing in crypto, which is just the inter- this growing intersection between macro and crypto, right? So I think most of our industry, uh, crypto is kind of behind, right, on rising inflation and how the Fed was going to respond and just hiking rates. I think people are very, very aware on it right now. Uh, and probably there's a concern that they're actually over-indexing, right? Like you got all these uh, people in crypto talking about inflation and Walmart earnings and stuff like that, which has maybe made me think that we're over-indexing on it. I, I'd be curious to get your guys' take as kind of people who walk in in both realms, like how much are uh, you know central banks, rising rates, how much is that still driving price action in crypto? And kind of have we seen the worst of the sell-off so far? The the the, sec- the second part of the question is a little bit of a sneaky one. Have we seen the worst of the sell off? The answer to that is yeah, I've got, right. abso- I've got <laughs> absolutely no clue and nothing that's the one that I say re- on this. Yeah, tried to get you to walk right <laughs> into like, that one. It's like I can yeah like I I, I feel like all, all of all of my macro discussions have gone exactly the same way over the last six mm. months, which is hey it looks really bad and no I don't know how it ends up right. I mean you kind of have these two pretty disparate schools of thought right now you've got one that basically says yeah like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna stick a landing you know maybe maybe it'll be maybe it'll be painful for you know a year i think at this point basically everybody but the administration is admitting that a recession's on the horizon uh and i think that you know we're likely to see uh, probably the recession hit in the next in the next six 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 months or so but then there's the other school of thought that's hey this thing's like a fundamental shift in the market right that this macro environment's actually complete change from everything that we've seen from the last 40 years and therefore we have to be braced for a completely new world and really that's kind of the crux of the issue and that's actually a very difficult issue to parse out and so mm. when i look at when i look at crypto what I see actually right now happening is I see Bitcoin is tied to macro more than ever. I mean, every single every single morning I wake up and, you know, Joe, Joe Nager is my partner here at Golden Tree. He's been in, in, uh, in, in TradFi for you know 30 years at this point. Great macro guy. We talk mm-hmm. macro every morning, even though we run the crypto team together. Right. It's and, and the reason the reason we do that is because if you look for it, it's still tick for tick. It's just basically there's no there's no differentiator on the beta component at this point it's just all the alpha component and sometimes the alpha is slightly higher and sometimes it's slightly lower right so sometimes crypto acts stronger than the direction of the S&P sometimes it acts mm. weaker than the direction of the S&P but it's not you know it's not necessarily uh decoupled in in any in any meaningful way and i think that's just a function of the amount of uncertainty uh you know that that, that that's that's currently out there i think you know my my six to 12 month outlook on this is that broadly the crypto markets are going to be correlated with the macro markets and we're probably not going to be able to extract ourselves anytime soon but you're going to find pockets of dispersion and that's kind of where you probably want to be playing if you're a trader and if you're an investor you probably just want to close your eyes because this is a transformative tech but you know that's that that's my that's my high level view yeah look i mean like i kind of near what I'll be saying the back half of that question of like, is it bottom? Like from a macro perspective, like I have no idea. And like, I, I don't think anybody in crypto in particular has like any real idea. Um, Avi probably has like gray color because he at least sits in like a TradFi Institute a little bit. Yeah. But like, I, I mean, like in general, like 
I say this a lot where I'm like, if you're like really good at like figuring out like where the macro components are going to go, then like, just don't bother with crypto. Like that doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. If like that is like really where your edge is. Um, and I also just think like nobody really has like a ton of edge on these things, or if they do, it's like on minuscule sort of amounts. So that sort of gets me to the whole thing of like, what do you do in response to this is like really nothing. Like, or at least like we haven't like fundamentally like looked at any heuristics of like what any larger macro markets are doing and been like, oh, we're going to trade according to this. I mean, like the other thing is, I'll be alluded to too, is like Bitcoin in particular being the largest and sort of most hooked into sort of ChadFi has like just really traded lockstep with the queues now. And then like ETH probably secondary, maybe it has some like, event stuff that like helps it disperse a little bit but like in general like the larger assets are just like really trading as like beta components to like equities and then specifically like tech equities um so that sucks because like that's like not really like fun um being in crypto and just like taking a ride in equities especially because you're like taking a lot of like other risks being in this industry um which are like not necessarily clear if you're just going to like perform sort of as like the sort of are they existing like markets um that's not like really worth it either so i don't know i like do i think this will last forever like no like i think this is like a period where like the look and like the hierarchy of like things that matter like there's like real world things that are more important to people at certain mm -hmm. times in their life and like you're seeing that now um and crypto is just like way down on the rank order of like things that matter um and that's like going to persist until things calm down and chill but like to get to the point of like, oh, we're going to a recession or not, like it, the, the bigger thing is that like markets are forward looking. So like they'll bottom before things are the worst in the real world, um, which is like, I think why you see a disconnect a lot of times on Twitter where like people are feeling peak shitty about the world when like that's already sort of behind us in the market side. You definitely saw this when like Three Arrows was blowing up and like, like the worst fears about contagion were like sort of like three or four days like after like the actual fears of contagion had sort of like played out. So um, that's like my thoughts on it all, which is like a really long-winded way of saying like, I don't know, strap in and just deal with it. Like it's not gonna last forever, but like it, it, we, we are subject in crypto to a master like other than ourselves for a while. Um, and I don't think that'll change like very, very quickly. Hopefully after the midterms, like I, I think that's like a good like line in the sand of like when we get like a, a regime change, hopefully, um, but who knows. Yeah, I um, I guess that that's really my. I, I know it's really difficult to predict. Like, I mean, there are a lot of folks out there who try to like read the tea leaves of the Fed and forecast what's going on with interest rates. I think you can see by like the performance of analysts over the last six months, like no one's particularly good at that. Like, very few people actually anticipated this rate hike cycle. I guess my question to you and Dan, you might have started to answer this. Sorry, you cut out a little bit there, but um, this kind of correlation between let's say crypto and the NASDAQ, right? Where investors kind of globally view crypto as this, you know, we've kind of slotted neatly on the, the last kind of part of the risk curve where Bitcoin and the rest of crypto included is like kind of the most risky of risky asset classes. I mean, do you think that that like, how, how long does that correlation last? Um, so I guess, let me, let me frame it like this. Is that the permanent slot for crypto? It's a new frontier technology. And until it becomes more commoditized and less frontier, it's just gonna trade basically like high beta, you know, QQQ. Or do we like break that kind of correlation at some point? And if so, like, why? Like, what would be the catalyst or some potential catalyst for that correlation breaking? So I think there's two reasons like crypto or any asset in it is going to become more correlated to like the larger like sort of markets. Like one is size. Like as things just get to a certain size, like they just become right. Like if you become more of the index, like you become like the index, and like you are obviously going to like move more in lockstep with it. Like right. and that's just like you see that with Bitcoin in particular, right? But as these assets get larger, they'll be tied to like other larger markets and the larger economy. Like that's just the, the natural evolution of it. The second thing is like going to be like, you're going to have regimes where what matters in the market is like independent of what's happening in like any individual components of the market. Right. Mm -hmm. So like in generally, this is on the way down, like where everything like becomes beta one. But the, the idea is that like, there'll be periods where it doesn't matter the idiosyncrasies of like the risk asset, like they're just going to trade all lock in step. And like those will come and go as like you have shocks or like changes in regimes, like in larger markets. So I don't know, like this won't last forever and like it'll sort of change, but there's also just an underlying sort of trend towards it becoming more correlated with larger markets as it gets bigger. I mean, like we shed two thirds of the market cap though. So like it's like gone a little bit of the other way. Um, where like there'll probably be more idiosyncratic moves if we decorrelate from the larger risk side um, in like the longer tail of assets in particular. So that, that would be sort of how I see that playing out over time.
Yeah, I think I think the most important thing for decorrelation in the markets, and I'm going to talk X Bitcoin right now, but really it's adoption at the end of the day, because if you think about it, well, what causes decorrelation? It's the presence of idiosyncratic flows. And for Bitcoin, I actually don't necessarily think that they're going to be a tremendous amount of idiosyncratic flows X the risk markets. I think that people mm. generally tend to buy Bitcoin when they're feeling bullish on risk markets or you know, when, when they think that global, global liquidity is flush. And that tends to correlate with the S&P going up as well. And they bet on Bitcoin as sort of the you know, fastest horse to, to move. I think that's the current mindset of people that are, buying, that are buying Bitcoin. But the current mindset of people that are buying stuff like Ethereum or maybe Solana or you know, Avalanche or this other stuff is that, hey, we might actually be building an entirely separate financial system right now. And if you, mm-hmm. if you start to see a real adoption, then it's kind of hard to fade that growth, right? So right. You, look at, you look at tech and you say, well, I'm not going to bet in 2010, you're not, you're not going to bet against the growth of stuff like Facebook. You're not going to bet against the growth of stuff like Uber just because it's like truly getting adopted, right? And so kind of the day-to-day of what the stock market did didn't really matter as much. I mean, obviously it mattered, but like it, it just not going to matter for the, for the one, two, three-year trend just because the stuff was growing so massively. And so I think if you want to see if you want to see decorrelation in the crypto markets, you kind of need to see all of those ideas of what the crypto market should be in a couple of years start to be fulfilled. And you got to see you got to see users coming in and you got to see that adoption curve really tick up. And I think it's happening. I actually do think like we're seeing we're seeing signs of that right now. I mean, I'm seeing it even, you know, in all my in all my conversations here, people are really interested in actually going and building stuff in crypto. Right. So like you know, golden, mm-hmm. golden tree does a lot of, a lot of credit. They do, do, do a lot of debt. I mean, one thing that's always on the back of our mind is, Hey, when are we going to find a loan that we can settle through a protocol? Right? Like, like when it, it's, it's not, it's not actually, it's actually not a matter of if it's just a matter of when this stuff happens from my perspective, because there are so many, there are so many benefits to it. And then once you start to get that happening, then I think you start to see decoupling in the market. But basically right now, most people look at crypto and most people look at all the assets that are in existence right now as tools for speculation and tools for speculation. They just, they just generally follow liquidity. So kind of, I think the answer that you're looking for is really real adoption uh, is going to yeah. lead, is going to lead to decoupling. And I think if I were to take a guess where you look for that real adoption first, based on, you know, what I understand about this market and what people are most interested in, it's probably either a in gaming or B in moving traditional financial products onto crypto. Yeah, I've, I've got uh, maybe like a more immediate question just in terms of idiosyncratic flows around a big catalyst, right? Which is the mm-hmm. merge coming up. Um, so I wanna ask you about that, but then I also wanna kind of get your longer term perspective on like gaming versus DeFi and where you see mass adoption happening. But like, let me ask you about the merge, right? Because uh, on the one hand, right, this has been a really interesting topic because like obviously there are kind of like two schools of thought out there, right? Which is, um, you know, there's this enormous macro overhang. And it, I, I think most people think that we haven't seen the last like leg down in equities. So there's still some pain to be worked out. Maybe it's a recession, maybe whatever it is, it's difficult to forecast, but there's a lot of worry that's out there. But on the other hand, you have this incredibly powerful catalyst in the form of the merge, right? And what that's going to do for Ethereum. So I guess my, my question to you is like sitting on both you guys like have some insight into flows and what's going on. Like, do you see other, is there any evidence that investors are kind of ignoring the macro and like taking a bet on Ethereum and the merge, or is that not a powerful enough catalyst to drive those like idiosyncratic flows that you were talking about? I mean, I think you saw it off the bottom, right? Like ETH bounced a lot harder. Yeah. Um, like it, 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 it had lost ground on the way down, but I mean, it just traded higher beta, but it, it, like, I don't know. I, I think there's like a, a real argument that there's like flows that are looking to like, just play that uh, event. Like there, I mean, we definitely talk to people that are doing it. Like, um, so like there's some anecdotal evidence that people are putting it on. Um, so I don't know. I think that like matters. I think that's like a, a real risk. But the question is like whether or not it's just going to yeah. get faded and it's right. just some like sort of like shitty market, like quick trade that everybody puts on because like everyone is dying to do something. Um, but like the back half of it is like it is a material change in like supply. Yeah, I'm actually yeah. curious. What do you like? If if you had to if you had to take a take a step, it's like, hey, this is this is a move that's going to get reverted, or this is like an actual trade that's gonna that's gonna keep going. Like, curious what your take is, Dan. Yeah, I look. If, if you put a gun in my head, um, like it trades like the heavens, right? So like it runs up into it, it gets sold back half a bit, but then it just like slowly resets higher. Like, so call it like into the event higher than 
call it loses maybe a quarter of that and then it just like grinds back up i mean this is like how we've seen the heavens play on bitcoin which is like kind of my heuristic for this whole thing mm. but like i i think like that imbalance like supply demand side on the back half of it will be like more than enough to take the speculators like supply out and then sort of grind it higher i think it should reset higher if not like there's a lot of other issues then in the supply side or like at least like the demand side for all the cryptos but like that that really should be able to like keep it higher yeah, that makes sense. You know, one thing that I was uh, one thing that I was struggling with with ETH BTC was uh, it felt like almost everybody that I talked to and and this was voice in the options markets, people were basically pricing this via options. Like a, a bunch of people came in and just started lifting topside, uh, and I think that actually was probably more prevalent than the actual spot buying that went through. Like if you ask me what led to the ETH BTC move, I'd probably say. A ton of short-term speculation lifting topside, and then a bunch of liquidations, and then, then it leaves the question of, oh well, like, are there actual spot buyers that are gonna that are gonna come through on this thing? And I think the answer is probably yes. So I think we end up we end up in the same in the same spot because I I do think that the crypto markets, I mean, just generally are very reflexive and 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 induce and induce FOMO like that. But I think uh you know on 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 ETH on ETH BTC, I'm actually I'm actually a little bit scared to be long it here. Uh, I'd I'd say that like I I would definitely be be worried over the next like month or two being long ETH BTC here just because it feels like it's a super crowded trade. But I do think like in three six months maybe it's higher. Um, definitely de- definitely a tough spot though. I think just more broadly the markets the markets are in a tough spot. I think people are like kind of what you said, Dan. They're they're kind of just searching for something to do, right? It's like so like what's what's kind of what's kind of the next trade that they that the that, that people can put on because honestly like if you look at it at a high level, market's kind of slow right now. Not, not much going on, <laughs> right? Like, oh, it's so slow. There's nothing going on. It's it's why you got to enjoy your summer. Yeah, I mean, look, that, that that's I, literally yeah, why I look like look there's, well there's, rested. There's, <laughs> there's nothing going on. I and, and like I think the bigger problem is like nobody wants to put risk on for a month out because like you can just get rugged in tradfi any other week and like nobody wants like everything is getting pushed forward closer to the events. I think because like nobody really feels comfortable sitting in any risk like through all the like you have like all these like random macro sort of like prints that can just like body you like in the short term and i don't know like people are they, they can't handicap it or they they're bad at handicapping it and like why bother taking that unnecessary risk into it i mean like th- th- that was the right trade too right like if you like the earlier you sort of had put this merge trade on in q1 or even like most of q2 like you're dead like it just like really didn't like work out so i think people are like concerned about that still like into it so it feels like the bull case right now for something like eth is you've got you've got the merge the bear case is something like uh we haven't you know this doesn't feel like other cycles there's still too much leverage left in the system uh maybe the bigger bear case is just the bigger macro right like recession impending are you guys paying attention to or you trade these almost like what i would call sub narratives the like the new L1s coming up, like Sui and Aptos. Like, is that something that you guys pay attention to that you trade? Or you just think that this is the market, like desperately searching for a narrative. And you're like, I'm not touching that thing with a 10 foot pole. Yeah, I mean, I trade it because I'm an addict. So and I, I've got nothing better to do. So like, of course, of, like, of course, of course I'm going to go out there and, and, and trade and trade this stuff. I mean, I actually, I, on, the, on the L1 thing, I'm not sure what there is to trade there yet, but at least, you know, there are all sorts of like micro rotations and, and random things that happen there's like a, a tiny little warm ball of capital that's moving around. And so, you know, I, I, I try to, I try, I try to follow that and make, and make trades. I mean, like one example of this, I think that's probably uh, most prevalent is that L2s are, are, are looking, are looking pretty good recently. And so I'm looking at things, you know, that are, that are on Arbitrum. I'm looking at things that are, that are on Optimism. And I'm like, Hey, maybe I should be deploying some capital here, short some ETH against it, kind of play that, play that trade. But you know, there, there's, there, there's, there's not, there's not a ton. I'll say, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it for sure. There's like, there's nothing to do, right? Like Aptos, like raising a bunch of money. Like there, I don't think there's like an actionable market sort of trade that you put on like in any realistic time frame because like it, the trade there is just like invest in it. If like, that's like really what you want to do. Um, so, and like try to play into that, but like, that's obviously like a different game. Um, so that, but as far as you're saying, like the leverage in the system, like, I, I don't know how much leverage that really can be left in this thing. <laughs> like, I mean, we've kind of carted out almost everybody. Like I get that, like, yeah, there's always somebody left to liquidate, but, um, I, I, I tend to be of the assumption that like 
the the most of that pain is like worked through. I mean, the fact that like we we haven't gone lower and like there hasn't been material liquidation still like for a bit now like helps sort of that argument. But yeah, like I I'm I think we're we're fairly delevered as far as history goes. Yeah, can, can I ask you guys internally? Um, you know, without necessarily commenting on any one counterparty. I mean, how much were you guys paying attention to leverage in CFI? You know, in crypto before this, you know, was there kind of like an internal like? Yeah, we we like some of these firms, but like we're not really sure. We don't really understand the risk management, or it doesn't seem like there's enough capital base to like support some of the risks that they're taking. Or was this like a huge surprise to you guys that kind of caught you off guard? I mean, we don't lend out like we're net borrowers, uh-huh. um, so like I, I guess like I'm less concerned. Like it, like if I like looked at like I mean we were investors in BlockFi, so like we ate money there. But like mm-hmm. I wouldn't like and we we borrowed from them, so. I never like looked at them and I was like, oh, this is a credit concern because like the risk was the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that was like generally like my vantage point on it. As far as like counterparties go, though, like I, I didn't think that there was as much leverage being given to people in the market as there was, which kind of, to be honest, leads me to believe that there was some fraud going on in some of the like information that was like being given. Because like I, I just like I don't think people were that ridiculous on the lending side. I, I like, That's my take on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm- I'm I'm with I'm with Dan I'm with Dan there. Wait, Dan, can you explain? Can you expand on that or explain that? Which which part of it? There was maybe like just not enough information in the system, or what folks were saying isn't actually what was happening. No, I think they were. I think they were lying. Yeah. I, I think there was information being provided. It was just false. Mm, yeah, I think that was like I think that was like how it got so squirrely. But yeah, look, I mean, like either way, it's it's two sided. Like even even so, with the information, like maybe not. Like it's still like there's a diligence that has to be done, um, and like. Clearly, like the amount of like leverage that was being extended was like too high at periods. I mean, like to be fair, like when we're looking at leverage and like sort of market impact and like what it matters, like we're looking at most of the like liquid CFI instruments, like the exchanges, like that's like import perpetuals and futures and like that. That's like generally like where we're looking for like the levels of fraud because like you don't have a ton of visibility into the OTC markets on the lending side. Like you can get quoted on rates and stuff like that and like get an idea, but like. A lot of that's just being arb against what you're seeing on the exchange side anyway. So like that, like we were not surprised, but like that was not something we were actively monitoring to like get an idea of like what the froth was in the market, as opposed to like what you're seeing happen in perpetuals and like sort of fixed tenor futures. Like that, like that was more like the heuristic we look at. Yeah, I, I think I think it's one of those things that it basically it doesn't it doesn't matter as much until it really matters. Is uh, is, is 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 what's happening? I do think that. The unwind from all these guys is definitely very net detrimental in the sense that a ton of retail just got burned, and so it's very unlikely to see them come back super quickly into the market. Uh, you know, I, I when I look at when I look at crypto market structure, you know, when I look at DeFi and when I when I look at CeFi, right? You look at a Celsius, a Voyager, all these guys that doled out these massive massive loans. Basically, what they were what they were doing. Is because of their relationship with the people that they that they were lending to and the, and they were loaning to, you know, the person would come in and they'd say, "Hey, like, give us a little bit more time to post up collateral. You know, give us like an extra two days, give us an extra three days." And you know, I think the vast majority of time, that's actually okay. Like eighty five percent of the time, that happens. That's okay. And then fifteen percent of the time, shit hits the fan, and you get something like a like a three arrow situation. You know, and where where stuff just completely, completely unwinds, and so I think you know one one big uh, thing here is most people don't pay attention because it doesn't really necessarily matter day to day, but it only matters it matters you know it has an outsized impact in short moments of time, right? And so when you have yeah. when you have market stress is kind of when you need to be paying attention to that stuff, and you know it's always. You know, it's it's it's. Uh, I think crypto has a bunch of swords kind of hanging over its head. That was kind of one of them. I think that a bunch of risk teams are probably they're probably going to have to be cleaned out, and you're probably going to see a lot a lot stricter uh, you know a lot stricter limits on on what people on what people can take and, and what people can do. So I think net net the ecosystem comes out fine. But I do think one thing that I want to point out is that DeFi did remarkably well during this downturn, right? It, you didn't really have bad debt created, and that's kind of that that's kind of the trade off of DeFi in a nutshell is you basically get slightly larger volatility day to day and then less crazy vol event happen right like you you get more day to day liquidations because you can't call up Ave and say hey don't liquidate me please give me another 2 days uh but you know 
you don't get those like ridiculous blowups that, that leave holes because because of that, right? So there's kind of there's kind of a trade off there. And you know, one thing, um, and I bring it up for for one point, and it, it's that that point has been resonating uh, pretty heavily, I think, with a lot of people in the in, in the more traditional circles, at least the ones that I've that I've talked to. Uh, they seem to really like that point, and I think it you know speaks to the robustness of what crypto can build. And then if you can have systems that do that, and then also build out you know systems that look like the stuff that exists in TradFi, and you do it all in crypto, suddenly you have a pretty cool and robust ecosystem, which you know I think I think is I think is dope. But it's uh you know it it's definitely the, the centralized stuff is definitely one big one big trade off involved, in my opinion. Hmm. Do you think? Um... You know this this kind of implosion of CFI. Uh, I mean, even right now, there's like an SEC probe being, uh, you know, issued to Coinbase, right? So there's like a lot of uh, skepticism around CFI, even like the biggest, most blue chip um, participants there. Do you think? And and you know, combining that with the fact that we know there's still a lot of capital sitting on the sidelines right now, uh, right? Like Andreessen raised whatever their four billion dollar fund or whatever, and I know they're deploying, but there's no way they've had time to even do a meaningful dent, right? In 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 that amount of money. Um, so do you, do you kind of see this uh, narrative? Because I've been kind of hearing the same thing, Avi, like, all right, like CFI kind of failed us. Now it's important to put some of this uh, important financial infrastructure on chain. So do you see kind of this next wave of investment or next wave of institutional adoption kind of like investing in that kind of native on-chain infrastructure? Or do you see more limitation with what that can ultimately do? Because at the end of the day, like one of the, one of the reasons these, these uh, protocols like the obvious and compounds perform is it was just over collateralized, right? And I, I still think we do need to solve under collateralized lending here um, in some sense, even the DeFi form. So I guess that, that's my question. Do you see a big catalyst kind of behind DeFi? Because it's been, at least from token price standpoint, it's been a poor performer for like over a year. I mean, even before this bear market started. It's a good it's a good question. I think the way that I would think about it is more that it provides a good base to jump off of, but it's not necessarily a catalyst right now. Right? Like it's not it's not something that's gonna bring in a ton of money right now. But what it does is it it basically it validates the product so that when the market turns, it, it probably performs really well off the bottom. Is is kind of the way that I would think about mm-hmm. it. Uh, but I don't necessarily think that it brings in a ton of capital right now because the people that are I'll tell you why. The people that are impressed by that are pretty slow movers, and the people that yeah. uh, you know would want to take a look at DeFi protocols because of all this stuff. I think I think they're moving pretty slowly. On the Andreessen point, I don't know, man. Like, where maybe maybe that's why Uni's been outperforming. Maybe maybe that's why Lido's going up. Maybe maybe they're maybe they're buying their bags. Uh, you know, maybe uh maybe maybe the next maybe the next trade is just buy everything that Andreessen has yet to buy and short ETH against it. I don't know. Uh, you, you you tell me, Dan. You're the you're the king of pair trades. I mean, those things against ETH has been a one way trigger to pain. But uh, I mean, like the Uni, I did hear was like raising a round, so I think there's like some truth in that, like leaking into the market. Um, so that that could be like all that's going on there. Um, but like in terms of the DeFi stuff, like the the problem you have like with CeFi dying and like it performing well is like you're still just like looking out and it's like a wasteland and it's like yeah. all right, like sick so like you're standing but like there's like all your customers are effectively like dead from like other reasons so i think like the problem is like yeah like this will matter and it like will turn and it'll turn higher but like it, it's like all right you're you're standing in the best position in a great i, I mean the greatest position to be in for a market that like is somewhat obliterated so i think that's like the bigger problem on it. it it'll be fine when it turns and like i think it helps there was like a real argument being thrown around of like DeFi is useless because it's like over collateralized and like this will never catch on. And I think that is getting put to bed a little bit because you're like, no, like there's like a, there's a chunk of the market that wants this. Like this is, that doesn't want the exposure that we just like went through. Right. So like, I think that's like what you're seeing, like the market sort of justifying like its existence and like why this matters and like why this is like going to be a thing first, just like, Oh, this is like a shittier version of like what the bilateral lenders can do. Like, I think there's like a product, market fit there that's like justified on the back of this or that people can like definitely see too. So I, I think that the big thing you're going to see on the CFI side is um, like, I, I don't think like the bilateral lenders are going anywhere. I think the ones that like remain will be like bigger and stronger and like, yeah. we'll, like we'll be at new levels and like call it two years or whatever it takes to like build this back up. I, I think like open term retail lending is dead and like probably should have never been a thing anyway. 
because like you're just too subject to these bank run problems. Like I think you're going to see only fixed term lending available to retail, like going forward, people will do it again, but it won't work out again. But I think like people who are like smart and are like looking to like stick this thing out. Like, I think that's the only way you're going to be able to do it. Like the exchanges can do the open term thing because it's just a book that they're matching up. But like, if you're trying to like really match like a lending book, like you can't have the most skittish chunk of the market, like the ability to withdraw all their money at any given time. Like, it just doesn't work. So do you, Dan, you think this and just ends up as a consolidation of the big centralized exchanges? Yeah. Like Binance and FTX. And I think you tweeted this out, Coinbase and Kraken. They end up just absorbing all of these smaller CFI companies. Yeah. But Coinbase hasn't done anything, which I find like super surprising. Like they have a ton. They, they, they should be using this as the same opportunity that like you're seeing the other like centralized venues. I, I think like there's certain people who are like really taking advantage of this, like FTX being the obvious one. And like, I think like finance is probably doing the same thing, just like closer to Asia and I don't see it as much, but like this, this should really be a time where you're like, look, like if you have a lot of cash sitting around and you like are in a strong position, you should be using this to like expand because like the people that come out of the backside of this bigger, like there, there's been a lack of consolidation in the market amongst the C5 participants for the last like two or three years because we had a raging bull market and like everybody was like doing okay and well, like there wasn't like a lot of impetus to like get like mergers and sort of companies sold like that should be happening really quickly now. And you have a window and like, I think there's certain exchanges are being very smart about it. And like, I think the, the other ones will like catch up. Like, I don't know. I, I expect there to be more consolidation coming out of the back of this and those players being stronger. Like I think this idea that like, we just keep launching like new exchanges every six months and like, they like go through phases, like is somewhat getting behind us. Like, I think you're going to see some stickiness in it going forward. Unless like regulators come in and just like body everybody again or something like that. But like it, it, absent, like any like real, regime change there like you, you should see strength like consolidating amongst like the players that's like my opinion of it at least where do you see um okay so if there's consolidation and let's say increased regulation uh on like c5 players like what does the role of d5 look like uh in that environment how does that change because one thing that i mean i just like Aubrey, we kind of started to talk about this with like where's adoption going to come from is it going to come from like gaming and nfts or is it going to come from DeFi? i feel like at least in my pit like my working theory is that it's not going to be DeFi. this like open permissionless like democratization of finance narrative like doesn't make a lot of sense to me like even if you look at uh, even if you look at a simple like borrow lend protocol like ave i bet like most of the retail participants like didn't really fully understand um how it all worked and then if you looked at a lot of like the late stage of this bull cycle like a lot of the DeFi products that were getting launched these were like complicated products right like even like all the options vaults and everything i think they're super cool but I, I think uh, probably a lot of retail like doesn't really understand. Like these feel like products that are made for institutions. So I guess if like the working theory is that CFI is going to consolidate and get more regulated, like who are the users of DeFi in that scenario? And do you see it as this like this one narrative? Like people are going to adopt it and people are going to learn more about finance and it's going to be this way to provide access to financial products for people that didn't have it before. Or do you see it as something else, like another place in the market that feels more institutional? But that should be an opportunity for somebody, right? Like somebody should be able to skin these things and make them better retail products. I mean, mm. they're open protocols. That's the whole point. Mm. So like if, if the UI and the experience is terrible, like that's an opportunity for somebody to fix. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I think one of the most interesting things about DeFi, honestly, is the fact that it is all open source, which I think inevitably means that you get better competitors out there, right? You just have, if you have the ability to copy and fork and push a new company overnight, then what you get is you get better products, right? And so I think, uh, I mean, that's kind of the beauty of, of DeFi to me is somebody can go spin up, you know, what is essentially a competitor to the New York Stock Exchange in like 15 minutes by forking the Uniswap code. Yeah. Right? That's, that, that's, that's kind of the sick part. Uh, and I think, you know, we like every, every, every day, uh, you know, you, you interact with money. And I just think that in the future, that's just going to that's just going to be on DeFi. Right. And I do think that you're right, that there's probably going to be some sort of bifurcation uh, in system. At some point in the future, I mean, institutions are going to want KYC just because they have to. They have to comply comply with regulation, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everything has to be KYC, right? Like you can have a version of Ave that's KYC. You can have a version of Ave that isn't that isn't KYC. I think that what you're probably going to see is you're probably going to see a little bit of a Trojan horse effect where people come in under the under the KYC lens, and then what ends up happening is that it actually just normalizes the use of DeFi protocols in general. And then it kind of it kind of just blows blows open. But I think you know the the crux of it is that, from my perspective on DeFi at least, DeFi is just a better version of the traditional financial rails. 
And so, you know, it's, it's more, it's more modular. It's easier. It's easier to build. It's easier to, it's easier to compete in. Right. I think you just end up, you just end up with better products. And so I think that right. what I, what's going to end up happening is that you, you will end up attracting the institution through a bunch of different K, KYC, KYC products, but you know, there's kind of no reason, uh, you know, why an individual, if they wanted a loan, wouldn't go to Ave. I think at some point in the future, you know, you're going to have, uh, you're, you're going to be able, if you want to get an undercollateralized loan, to sign a legal contract using Ave and get an undercollateralized loan, right? Like if, like instead of instead of going to a SoFi, maybe maybe you're going to maybe you're going to a Maple, right? In the future, um, you know, and right. maybe maybe that process is a, is a, is a little bit better, right? And so I think uh, I think the DeFi is just kind of like the, the the sexy thing was just was just the yields, and I think you know uh, that definitely attracted a ton of people, but the reality is that DeFi is a deeply unsexy product. It's just better financial rails. Uh, but you know, that is actually very valuable in my opinion. So yep. how, how do you guys think about one of the issues in DeFi? I'm not sure, like, you know, just the fact that maybe some of these things are actually, they provide good utility, but they're difficult to invest in, right? Like you need the token for instance, um, because, you know, my understanding is like, there's a couple things going on there that are challenges there. There's like a DAO, right. That governs. Uh, and there's like some questions like, is that really the best way to, um, like build and ship a valuable product, but then there's also a regulatory component, right? And you're kind of seeing this materialize around like the, the whole fee switch debate, which is if you have this group of people, like let's say Uniswap labs and they're the sole contributors to like building Uniswap, the protocol, and then revenue starts to occur there, then that starts to accrue there. That starts to look a lot like a security, right? So there's this like funny discussion going on right now around like our DeFi, is DeFi like public goods? Um, and we don't really care if the token price appreciates, or do we want to find a way to like have revenue accrue to the, to the protocol itself. And then that revenue can get reinvested in better products and services, in which case it starts to look more like a security, right? So like, I guess that would be, I feel like that's another bear case that the market needs to kind of work through for DeFi in general is like, will revenue and, and cash flows ever accrue to these things? Cause right now it seems tricky from a regulatory standpoint. I don't know if you guys have an opinion on that. I mean, the fact that the tokens have value at all means people like think it will inevitably happen, right? Like, I think that's mm. like the the market sort of prediction on it. I, that being said, like they're incredibly risky because like there's there's really large unknowns beyond just like will this work and people want to use it, and like there's a second layer of like, well, even if they do, do you end up actually like accruing any value back to the token? I I am long term like bullish on the the, the idea that they will. Um, mm. but I, I think we got a while till that becomes like, okay, or clear, or like somebody's like willing to take that risk. Um, so like, I, I think you're not going to see it in the short term for sure. It, like, like things also like they're getting like regulatory wise, like they haven't gotten any clearer in a while. And I don't think you'll see that until there's a regime change with the current like administration. Yeah. I think, uh, I think to clarify, uh, we're not going to get that anytime soon in the U S but it's like, so obviously clearly happening elsewhere. I mean, there, there are protocols that currently give you, you know, rev access, access to revenues, they exist, they're out there <laughs> and, and you get, you get, yeah. you get, you get paid for it. It just, j just so happens that in the U S you can't really access them. And so I think at some point, uh, regulators kind of get boxed into a corner, uh, if, if, if it gets big enough. Um, so I think basically they kind of have two choices. One is they stop it now, which is possible. Or two is in two years, it's so big and so prevalent that they can't really do anything other than to create a regulatory sandbox for it and to like then take that sandbox and turn it into a real a real law that kind of protects these things because otherwise it'd be just har probably harming a tremendous amount of consumers so i think uh i, th I think that's kind of like a it, it's almost like a now or never in my in my opinion and every day that they wait makes it easier for crypto to survive which is i guess good for us right i mean as, as long as i mean as long as it doesn't nuke another 70 percent in the next in the next year then maybe it's easier I don't know. Do, Avi, do you think these protocols that spit off cash flow, it's actually a detriment to them? Because um, like basically everything in crypto, obviously, actually every every asset anywhere trades on narrative. But when you don't have cash flows, uh, it's really just trading on a narrative. When you do have cash flows, you start trying to create models uh, that value it. It's almost like yes. NFTs with utility, right? It's, like the NFTs with utility are worse. <laughs> it's my favorite left curve argument. I think it's I think it's a, I think it's probably correct. 
sadly. <laughs> <laughs> so things with cash flows will be will do worse because they have no <laughs> because you're trying you, you can put them. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell. I'll tell you guys a funny a funny story. Uh, you know, Golden Tree obviously you know is a val. A, a lot of the stuff that they do centers around value and fundamental value, and so that lens mm. has kind of creeped in to some of the stuff that we're that we're looking at at crypto where it's like okay like can we model this on cash flows or can we model this on values or on value or like revenues or like anything else or active users all, all the all that kind of stuff and we kind of had a funny discussion the other day where i kind of both to myself and to the team uh reminded everybody that sometimes it just has absolutely nothing to do with price like zero like in fact, it can it can often go the it can go the opposite direction. So you kind of just need to like remember what market you're trading, and that. I mean, have any of you guys looked at the market cap of Celsius recently? The sell token. It's probably higher than it should be. It's four hundred million. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> well, because it's all locked. You can't like most. Of the you know how many sold. people went bankrupt shorting that thing? Too many. Like, like way too many. It's like absurd. You're paying like ten percent a day to be short this thing. It goes, it goes bankrupt, and then it doubles. Like, in what world? In, in this, in this one, in the, in the, in the crypto one, right? <laughs> that was actually a great trade, by the way. You got the bad news behind you. Yeah, it's like bu- buying, buying that was a great trade. Yeah, and you got paid the whole way through it to hold it. It's to- totally absurd. Yeah, I feel like these traditional models might actually, they might bring in more institutions like the Golden Trees, obviously. Like Golden Tree, you know, the managers of the managers love to put models around these things. But in a funny way, uh, that kind of limits the reflexive upside of the assets that have the models on them. So it actually hurts the assets that the institutions are investing in. We'll see. Well, how do you guys think about like, um, do you ever see anything that looks like a good product, but bad token? So maybe like an optimism or something like that, where maybe you believe in, like you were saying, obviously, like there's some potential in layer twos, but it's just super low float, really high, you know, fully diluted value. And it just makes it more difficult to invest, like take a long-term view on it. Uh, do you guys have thoughts on like, you know, any situations that kind of look like, maybe like some of the, the Solana ecosystem tokens as well. Like there was that kind of same problem. Yeah, Dan, you're actually talking about this in some, uh, yeah, in right. some chat that we were in about the, about the short hunting. I think that was you, right? Yeah, so there's two problems um, that come up with these like situations for most people. Um, one is like, I'll, like look, like it's hard to like put them in for like long term positions, right? Because you're like this supply is just going to come online. Like this thing should like reset lower. Like it's it's like it's neutral rate of like if the supply were out there is like materially lower. But the, the counter to that is like, all right, because there's so low float of it, like it's super subject to like quick shocks to the upside, right? Mm. Like there's just like not a lot of supply that's like out there. So like the, people find themselves a lot of times like caught in these things where like they go short them, there's no supply and like people will just run it up for like whatever reason, either it's organic or they're purposely just trying to like squeeze it. And you just get bodied because they move so quickly because there's so little supply and there's nothing to tether it back down to reality with any supply in any like short time frame that you end up getting caught. So like it's one of these situations where I feel like people like look at this and they're like, I have to do something. And like the reality is you should just do nothing. Like you shouldn't like sit there and be like, oh, it has to go down. Like I'm going to be like a hero here and like sell it short. Or like you shouldn't look at it and be like, well, somebody might like run it up for a squeeze. Like you really should just leave it alone. And you should just be like, I'm going to put a mm-hmm. pin in this thing for the future, like where the supply is much more like higher and like it's at a much more steady state. And then I can make a decision like from there. But like these really, really low float, like tokens out there are super subject to these like shocks to the upside. And you got to like really, I don't know. I, I, it's a way to get bodied very quickly that you probably don't even think about a lot of times, or at least some people don't. Um, and you, you see it a lot of times also when like new coins will get issued um, and like either like, the supply is very hard to access or it's like on like a, a, a fairly like quickly schedule, but like it's not like sort of like out there for day one. Like selling assets like when like the perp just lists is like super dangerous. Like there's just like not as much of like this, like even if the supply is like out there, it's like not in the hands of people who could like readily like move it or act on it or anything like that. So um, I don't know. I think this is like also why you see such crazy fireworks like on new listings and stuff like that too, where people are like, this is irrational. And it's like, who could possibly be buying this? And it's like, well, like the, the bigger issue is that like nobody can sell it. So I think people forget that like on the very, very low float. 
stuff at times. But yeah, I don't know. That's like so. I I I think in general though, like you just like don't want to do anything. I think like there's enough like other stuff in the world that you don't have to like take a shot at that. When you stop having these, uh, when you stop when when there's no retail to dump the low flow tokens on, what happens to the low flow tokens? Uh, like, do VCs end up just scooping these up and at massive discounts in the in the in the heart of the bear, or what happens with them? I actually think VCs are kind of like the ones that are getting effed in this in this transaction in a, in a way, like at this point in the cycle, because the private market valuations haven't actually caught up with the with the public market valuations, and so I think that. I'm seeing a lot. Of, mm. I, I'm personally seeing a lot of rounds go through that I would price like at a 50% discount uh, when they when they actually start trading, just because there's nobody like nobody wants to buy this stuff. Uh, I mean, you look at you look at like all yeah. all the recent listings, other than this like tiny little shitcoin that people have been talking about that was on Arbitrum. Like, I guess it's like up to X in the last day, and everybody's really excited <laughs> about it. But uh, like that, that's like the only thing that I've seen in the last three months. It's up on the listing. Um, you know, it's 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 kind of it's like such a shitty environment, I think, right now because you've got these mega funds that have a mandate to deploy, and they're just gonna they're just gonna keep deploying. But then there's there's nobody to sell it to, right? And nobody wants to buy it because you've kind of overpaid for something that. I mean, it's funny. I was um, I was talking to 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 a buddy who just does like normal VC investing, not crypto VC investing, and pre product stuff generally goes for like three to five million, and pre product stuff in crypto goes for like forty. Uh, and, uh, and so it's actually people like me and Dan who have like cash and are liquid and are hunting in the liquid markets that I think kind of make out like a bandit where I can buy stuff, right? Like on Binance after it lists at, at half the price of a VC. I mean, if you look at like a ton of tokens out there, they trade it at VC price or like VC rounds. Uh, so it's like actually great. And there's no lockup on it. So you get to, you get to just go out there, go out there and buy it, uh, which is, which is kind of, which is kind of fun. One thing that you generally see, just in terms of investing in general, is that you get a lot of different types of products at the absolute worst time. And what do I mean by that? Well, in 2019, every 2019, 2020, like everybody launched a market neutral fund because that's what worked in 2018. That was like kind of the worst time to do that because then crypto went up massively. Uh, and now I think everybody's launching a VC fund because that's what worked in the previous cycle. And so that the private markets are getting crowded out. And so I actually think now is like the right time for liquid funds. Finally, uh, <laughs> uh, you know. So I think, uh, and I, yes, I am talking my book massively, but it's uh, you know I, I do I also think it's true. <laughs> so I'll say it's like the the people who made it the most money in like in like the last bear market, whatever, like 2019 period, were like people who put really large liquid positions on for things that they like had some thesis on and just like sat on it. Right. Like there were a lot of people that did this, like Multicoin, probably the most like famously, right? Like they just like bought all the Solana because they just like decided that they were like, and helium too. And like, they were buying other people's saps. They were buying all the liquid stuff. Like, like if the bear markets give you the opportunity to basically put like a tremendous amount of size on something that you might not have would have otherwise, um, that you like probably have a thesis on or like you should, if you're going to do it, but like there, so there is you do get like this like pocket to like do activity that you like might not have otherwise. The thing is like you just got to like accept that you're going to be like in pain for a while, like on this, especially if you're going to like warehouse that risk. Um, so yeah, like there, there definitely is like that upside to it is like you get the ability to buy things in size, like discounted um, and wait on it. So that, like, that does like, that is the good thing, but and hopefully when it turns, like it turns materially for you, but I think that was like the people who really like made all the real money in the last cycle were people who had put the stuff on earlier. I've uh, did you guys see, I mean, we were kind of chatting about this uh, before we got on, but the, uh, the Lido sale, right. This was dragonfly reading, uh, dragonfly leading, like, uh, there was like a $20 million sale or something like that. They were going to take 10 of it down. Um, I mean, one thing that, uh, like, you know, the, the downside, right, of the, these these liquid markets for even even like pretty large cap tokens relatively is that there's just a really low amount of liquidity for these things. So even like a relatively small buy uh, can move the price pretty materially. And then if you combine that with like Dow treasuries, they didn't move fast enough to move into stables. And it's like 83% of assets in Dow treasuries are still in their native token or they have like one asset, like there are these crazy statistics. Like, do you guys see that it's like a big opportunity for VC going forward? Because on the one hand, these like DAOs, they need to diversify their treasury. They want to get out of their native token. Um, and to your point, like they're pretty attractive, like liquid valuations out there for like 
you know, like the Lidos or DYDXs or Maples or, or whatever it is. Like, do you guys see that as a big opportunity for VCs going forward? Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. It's just us now. I think it's just you and me. We just, love them. Just, just, yeah, just, just the psychos now. Yeah. Like inmates, in, inmates are running the place. <laughs> now we can talk about whatever we want. I think they have to. Yeah. They won't even know we said it. Yeah. All right. What are, what are we punting? <laughs> you see that helium hit piece this morning? No, I didn't. What was it? No, it's it's I this this guy who like just hates crypto and writes threads, but the odd lots guys like we're talking about it. He like basically was like helium collected six thousand dollars in fees last year. Like, why is it worth anything? And like went on this whole like it's very it's a very long thread. Oh wow, yeah, I got I got to read that. I mean, if it if it actually only collected six thousand dollars in fees, I mean that's like kind of kind of bad. You'd ex- you'd expect it to do more. I guess I haven't actually looked at it in a while. It's like it's funny. Helium's kind of that thing that's like catnip. It's like catnip Dude, for people for love hardware. Isn't it? Like people, people fucking yeah. love it. Like they're people love that you get a physical thing. Yeah. Like seriously, everyone that I know that's like a normal person that I like talk to them about it, they're like, "Oh, I got to get one of those." Like, and they like set it up in their house. They like I'm telling you, like people love that idea. That's pro. I mean, that's honestly probably why Solana came out with their phone, right? Yeah, people oh, love back. physical things. I got. We, we both. Yeah, I told you. Dan, I told you we just moved into this office. Uh, we got completely rugged by our Wi-Fi. Both, uh, it's still shit in the bed, so we can we can wrap this one up. Um, no worries. We, yeah. we we were just jamming it. You, you can you can take this you can take this recording. Exactly. Perfect. Perfect. This is the highlight. It's probably you guys talking. Anyways, guys, we'll we'll wrap it because my Wi-Fi is totally shit. But Dan and uh, Avi, this was great. Appreciate the time, guys. And uh, yeah, we'll have you guys on soon again. All right. Take care. All right. The outtakes. The outro here. Man, we got rugged. Well, director's cut edition here. Yeah, we did. We got we really rugged. Did. I know. What are you going to do? Yeah. All right. Well, the people are just going to have to make do with the two of us, I guess, then. For it's real unfortunate but... for the people then. So anyways, what do you, you think? Any, uh, what, what stood out to you in the episode? Yeah, I thought it was great. I love talking to those guys. They're so measured. Uh, I, w- I almost wish they had come out and been like, this is what's happening. But they're too smart to do that. They didn't fall for my trick in the beginning. I like, haven't seen the worst of it yet. Neither one of Where them answered. Where is the bottom? Where is the bottom? Where is the bottom? Yeah. We're like, yeah, yeah, no, I know. But like, where is it? Like, come on. Uh, I no, I really like their both their frameworks. Uh, I you know I think to call out two things in the beginning. Um, I thought Avi's point where the the large caps were extremely correlated with basically the Nasdaq. So that's Bitcoin, especially just trades in lockstep with QQQ. Uh, that was well taken. Uh, so basically, I thought his advice was really good. If you're a long-term investor, just kind of sit on your hands and and close your eyes. If you're a trader, you're going to have to move out into some. Uh, you know, you know, some of the further out re- reaches of crypto where there's some dispersion, right? So I, I think that was good advice for both folks. I, I really like uh, Dan's framework for the merge in general. Um, and you know, the reason that I like, and he's the heuristic that he's kind of using is how Bitcoin trades around happenings. And the reason I like it is because <laughs> it, I think a lot of people will lose money on it, because, and that's what markets like to do, right? It's like it kind of runs up, right? Everyone says buy the rumor, sell the news, but it runs up. People lose their conviction. They buy the top, then it sells off, then they're like shit, and then it will finally steadily churn up, and people won't believe it. So if the, if your framework is markets will do the thing that causes the most people to lose the most money, then I'd say Dan's pretty spot on, and that's <laughs> probably what's going to happen with the merge. Um, what, what did you think about that point that he made too? Where it's like markets are for, more forward looking, and they'll they they react before you see pain in the real economy. I, I, that I, I love that. Well. that. Yeah, that was one of my favorite points that he said. It's um, it's it's really interesting because when you go on on Twitter, not just crypto Twitter, you go on Twitter, there's like doom and gloom. It feels like the last like two months there's been so much pain. But then you look out into the real world, you hang out with non crypto friends, you like look out into the into just different companies, what's going on. You're like just starting to see pain. Like you're just starting to see layoffs. You're starting to see like people maybe take a couple days less on their vacation because they don't want to spend as much. Like the, you don't spend as much money on like birthday gifts. Like you're like just starting to see that. And people are just, I think, waking up to the fact that a recession is coming. Whereas on crypto Twitter and just like stock Twitter uh, and like FinTwit, I feel like people have been talking about that for for months, right? And so Dan's point about like, there's this three to six month lag between the bottom of markets and then like when it hits the real world, I, like that, that was a really good way to um uh, to just to put a framework around that. I like that. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I had the exact same thought because yeah, if you just tuned in and paid attention to media or looked at crypto Twitter in general, you would see that there was a lot of 
a lot of pain uh, and prices have responded to that. But I haven't really seen that in my real life, you know, so to speak. Yeah. Um, like there hasn't been an enormous amount of pain. And obviously at the end of the day, no one has a macro crystal ball, right? Yeah. I would say, you know, we, we talked about this at the offsite. Like a lot of people talk with a lot of authority, like either this is all going to be fine or, you know, we're headed to the next great depression. I just, you know, just plus one, the idea that nobody knows for sure, despite how authoritatively people talk about it. But yeah, I haven't really seen any kind of response about that out in the real world. So I, I like the framework that yeah. they laid out there. But which is um, interesting because if you think, so what's happening right now is like the, you know, we've been at this, like the market's been tanking for months. You're just starting to see it in the real world. What, if you like extend this out maybe four or five months from now, what you're going to have is like maybe the market's coming back, but the, but, but you're in like max pain in the real world. It's an interesting, uh, uh, like lag time. I think I haven't thought yeah. about it like that. Here's another one that I um, I probably should just do more homework in, and it's 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 hard to figure out how to get involved here or play this. Like if you think about, because I'm I'm not a trader, right? I love listening to traders, but I don't trade because I get my you face ripped say. off. Uh, don't say, <laughs> you don't say, don't have the disposition for it. I don't have the disposition. <laughs> no, I prefer to lose money the old-fashioned way, just holding it all the way to zero. Um, but I thought the the emphasis that they they had on the L, the L2s as an ecosystem, I thought was was cool. Um, because there is a lot of work being done there, right? Yeah. Um, and I haven't worked out my own mental framework with, do I think apps are going to launch on L2s in general, or do I think they're going to launch their own app-specific chains? Yeah. I thought, I, I don't know if you have a, a thoughts about that, but probably both, I guess, would be the answer. Mm -hmm. And it seems like there's a lot of, there are some games being played maybe at the, I don't know if y'all follow Sisyphus, the account, but he's it's pretty good, and he's called out some some funny games or shenanigans that are happening in those L two ecosystems. But um, I don't know. Yeah, what do you think? Well, about what I mean, speaking speaking of Sisyphus, I think Sisyphus has some points that also Dan and, and Avi made similar points about like if people previously like let's say a, a year ago were under indexed on the macro, now they're probably mm -hmm. over indexed on the macro. Like everybody cares about the macro right now, and if you read. Uh, and, and you're probably like a little too over indexed on it, actually. Like every crypto podcast yeah. you get on there, it's like first couple questions, like, all right, like how does the macro tie into crypto? I think people are probably a little too over indexed on it. Uh, and also probably a little too like short term, uh, you know, short term thinking. And like how Howard Marks just had this piece. And in the roundup, we talked about it with Santiago. But, uh, how, you know, Marks basically says like there's there's really no point thinking about the short term, because even if you can even if you can nail the short term, you can't adjust your portfolio fast enough to to hmm. actually make an impact so he's like there's no point thinking about three months from now you really need to think about like six to 12 months from now so um yeah there was something else in there that i thought was interesting which was open um like uh, i think it was dan who said open term retail lending is dead and and should be dead and i thought that was a really interesting point and i think what he said is uh only fixed term lending only fixed term retail lending will exist and that it'll kind of get gobbled up by the big exchanges like the Coinbase's, FTX's, hmm. um, and so it's like I don't know. It's it's a it's an interesting way to think about it. Like the BlockFi's and Celsius's of the world, like there aren't going to be there's not going to be another BlockFi really. There it's just going to be like because that model was broken because as Dan said it it causes these bank runs. Uh, that was a good point. I would agree with you. I think. Overall, one of the biggest things that doesn't exist yet, and this is actually happening, so maybe there is a the CFI component to this and the the Coinbase or the FTXs offer this. There's, this is also being worked on on the DeFi side of things with um, fixed interest rate protocols like Volts, if you've heard of them. Uh, they, you know, if you look at in TradFi, one of the largest markets that exist is interest rate swaps, um, and those are those are fixed interest rate swaps typically, and it's a I mean, depending on where you look at the size of the market, it's like a $400 billion to a one quadrillion dollar uh, a year market what, what, what is, is OTC what is derivatives. What is, what is a quadrillion? <laughs> it's, a, it's enormous. It's, it's, really, yeah, it's really, it's very, I mean, institutional. It's, it's basically, I mean, you can think about it as um, there's like a couple of different things that happen there, which is one, there's risk management. And I would assume that's largely like corporates not like trying to hedge out FX risk. There's speculators. And then there's, and this is the, this is the, point that builds on what Dan was saying is there's like structured retail products that get built on the the underlying right so if you think about a like if you ask the average uh 
person who walks on the street like, oh, what's a 30-year swap? They, they have no idea what that means, but everyone knows what a 30-year mortgage is. Right, so there are these kind of like yeah. base building blocks that get that get built, and then um, that that ladders up to these more structured retail products. So I agree with you. I mean, I I think like you and I talked about this too. I think one of the the way that CFI versus DeFi ends up going is there's consolidation in the CFI space, and they end up getting more regulated, and they kind of end up yeah. looking something like banks. Yeah, probably. I think the I mean just the last closing thought, and then we can wrap this up is. Um... I forget if that, this was actually during the recording or before we hit record, but Dan, you know, we're like, hey, how are you doing? What are you, what are you doing these days, Dan? It's like, uh, we're, we're building better tech. We're like fixing things internally. <laughs> right. yeah, and I was. just like uh, empathize with that so much. Um, and, and, and people, people always say it's like when we're going into this bear market, it's like, oh, you, you know, you, you, you buy in the bull, you like build in the bear or whatever it is. Uh, and like the best things get built in these bear markets, these like one liners that it's like, okay, but like, what does that really mean? And through yeah. some of these conversations, and again, I forget if this was on the recording or before if we hit record, but it's like, that's literally what people do in these markets. It's like, all right, we finally have time to slow down. Dan's like, we're not as active right now. We're slowing things down and we're, and we're actually getting our systems right so that we can spend 12 months prepping, getting our systems right for the next bull market, which will be colossally bigger than the last one. So, yeah. If folks haven't, um, you know, if you're listening to this, maybe if you're not actually in crypto, but you're just kind of watching, I mean, it's really difficult to lay the good foundation of good business practices when you're hiring as quickly as you as you do when you're growing, right? Like when revenue is growing, you know, 10x and you're trying to hire, you know, for more people than you currently have, no one's like really kind of laser focused on those things like building good business processes, like talking to your customers and understanding value propositions and like actually shipping good products and services because everything's just kind of working. You need to grow so fast. Then we've all just like hit a wall. And now this is when, um, this is when most of the innovation happens, I think across yeah. all industries I'd venture, but certainly in crypto. So I agree with that. I agree with that takeaway. Yeah. Very good. Should we wrap yeah. it? I think this du director's cut has been a, uh, let's wrap it. Let's wrap man. it. Yeah. I think that was good. Yeah. All right. We'll see. We'll see how, what the audience thinks. <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was a good summation. All yeah. right, buddy. All, All right, right, buddy. Well, uh, enjoy, enjoy the rest of your day. And we will, uh, we will see you on Friday for the next weekly roundup. Thanks for listening to Empire. See you on the other side. Cheers, dude.